Welcome to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast, a show dedicated to Japanese tea. Hosted by tea blogger Ricardo Caicedo. Welcome to episode number 41 of my Japanese Green Tea Podcast. Today we'll be speaking with Elise Peterson of TLED about tea events. Hi, Elise. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. How are you today? Good, thank you. Can you briefly introduce yourself and your company? Yep. I uh, started studying tea uh, over a decade ago, and、uh, similar to you, I'd started、uh, in studying Japanese tea.、Um, I was working at Itoen, so、um, doing quality control.、Um, I'm actually a food scientist, so that's what I did prior to that. And、uh, yeah, I just became very interested in tea and started studying tea in Hawaii with farmers and, and then、uh, spent some time in, in Kyoto in Japan studying tea there and started a, a business called TeaLet after my time there. TeaLet is a for profit business,、uh, online commerce business、uh, that has a, a mission of creating a bridge between tea growers and tea lovers. Uh, we utilize technology to bring efficiency and transparency to the relationship between tea producers and tea businesses.、Uh, we work with small businesses, startup tea businesses,、uh, to、um, you, you know, even large buyers, and helping, helping to bring transparency and efficiency to even、um, you know, brokering larger shipments. Uh, for teas that are used for iced tea, but we,、uh, we specialize in specialty tea, high quality tea, which is、uh, for the American market where most of our business is, is a really new phenomenon and the market is、um, just now starting to grow. So, kind of in a unique position here to really set the tone and set the culture of what tea will be in America, which is you know, a great market that was. Really non existent for tea, especially quality tea, specialty tea, you know, prior to just five years ago.、Um, but, you know, in, in the journey of building this business over the past eight years,、uh, you know, helping small tea shops and, and small businesses、um, introduce high quality teas that tend to, the cost tends to be. You know, higher than the commercial grocery store level quality of tea. But,、um, you know, helping these businesses succeed in selling their tea、uh, through what we're going to talk about today、uh, tea events,、um, you know, creating those spaces, be them brick and mortar, solid spaces like what I have in here、uh, in, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, along with my warehouse, I have a tea tasting room where we can do events, you know, to even pop up events or regular events at farmers markets that I'm seeing、uh, with great success. And a lot of、uh, the smaller businesses we're working with, a lot of the startups, enthusiasts of tea that have decided to start their own business, they don't have the big capital up front to invest in the brick and mortar、uh, space and the marketing and everything that goes along with launching. You know, a service retail brand,、um, seeing them succeed in, in organically building community around specialty tea、uh, in order to support their business so that they can organically grow into that brick and mortar space. Like going back to the beginning, how did you first get into tea like, like a hobby? I, I did not get into tea as a hobby.、Uh, tea has never been a hobby for me. Tea has always been a profession for me and a study for me.、Um, like I said, my first exposure to tea was working at Itoen. 
as a food scientist. And you know, the craziest thing about that whole experience is I was quality control supervisor, uh, which meant, you know, I needed to know all of the quality aspects of every bottle that left our facility, um, you know, from processing. Uh, but that entire two years that I was there, I never knew what Camellia sinensis was, you know, which is <laughs> says a lot about, you know, the commercial tea business and, you know, where the interest is and where the priorities are, which is more, you know, on quantities. We'd be um, receiving tea in really large super sacks with no traceability about where, uh, the tea was coming from. And and so that kind of led me on the, the journey that I'm on now, just through my study and through um, networking and putting myself out there for, for the world to teach me and inspire me uh, about what is good, you know, what what is coming? Like, I, I'd want to know where is it coming from and what are the intentions and the values of the people of where these things are coming from, you know, the tea leaves. They come from soil and they come from people's efforts. So this kind of led me on the journey. Um, so unfortunately, tea has never been a hobby for me. Um, although I, I do practice tea as, as a hobbyist now, but I'm so far deep in it. You know, I never started to pursue tea as a hobby. It, it kind of fell into my lap, the, you know, the work of it and the study of it. And what has been your experience with tea events? Yeah, I mean, tea events has been kind of the backbone of my entire experience, you know, it's basically just getting invited to one tea party after another, and just going with the flow and meeting the people that are there. Um, yeah, I just wrote an article for uh, teaching, I write for teaching a great tea blog, I recommend everybody to check out. Um, and I just wrote an article about this, because you know, you, you wanted to talk about this. And it made me think about tea events and the importance of those events and in, in creating community and in creating successful businesses around tea. And uh, I reflected back onto the first tea event I ever went to, uh, which was uh, in uh, 2012. In the beginning of 2012, January 2012, uh, this was right after the tsunami had hit Tohoku in Japan in, in March of, of 11. Uh, so I was part of this uh, caravan that was moving, you know, village to village or town to town and making a tea party, essentially, for the residents of the, um, you know, temporary housing units or, you know, we went to a couple schools and we went to like a senior living center. And we we just boiled the water and made many, 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 many cups of sencha and many cups of matcha and uh, genmaicha and hojicha and just kept kept the kisus filled. And, um, you know, I was really impressed by that that experience. You know, that, that experience is very different to what I experience now at tea parties. But people that, that tea was already an important part of their daily, you know, they probably would have drank tea on their own anyway. But because we came there and we're, we're offering the service to them, they came and everybody was in such like a positive attitude and just feeling really connected. And, and um, I guess the best way to say it is without ego, which is pretty incredible. You're in an environment when there's not the threat of your own ego or someone else's ego upon your ego. Um, it's pretty incredible what can happen, the vulnerability that's there, the conversations that can be had, the connections that can be formed between people. And then from a business perspective, if you're If you're trying to, you know, create a business case around this, it's the best environment to educate your customers. 
and to introduce new products to them and get them excited about new products and valuing. I mean, at the core, that's as specialty team business people, we have to communicate the value of our product and our experience to our customers. And that's what's going to support our business. If we don't do that, the customer can literally compare what you're trying to sell to them to a Lipton tea bag, like apples to apples. They'll just do that. But if you repackage that experience and value around that experience and the product that you have to be something educational, to be something entertaining, to be something artistic, to be something that they would want to experience anyway, it can really help develop your business and support your business for, for future growth. So all of my clients that I work with, and I work with over 1,200 different you know, small tea businesses around the world, the ones that are experiencing the best success and the fastest growth are the ones that are continuously putting on these events. And these events can be tastings. And they can be targeted tastings too, and they don't have to be well attended. They could just be a few people coming in. They could be a few influential people. Um, you know, I have some clients that specifically do industry tastings you know, wine industry or mixology, uh, you know, the bartending community and invite just them in and get them really excited about what's going on and or even doing a mixology event and, and having the ingredients there and letting, you know, maybe you do a first round of tasting the tea alone and talk about uh, the different characters and qualities of each of those teas and and start having conversations around well, what could be something fun that we could create cocktail wise with these sensations to create this new sensation and and then that ends up helping with other business too right not just the revenue from from hosting that event there's so much value that comes from that that goes way beyond the, the the revenue that you make from the event itself um, because you end up making lifetime customers you know and they may not be customers that are going to buy from you right away but they're going to be ones that are going to be a part of your community and you know coming back and, and when the time is right you know they're going to support your business and then they're fun too you know like it's it is a lot of work to put on an event you potentially could you know a big crazy event like what we do sometimes here at tila actually after world tea expo we threw a big tea party here um in my my tea room where we we let it flow outdoors and had live music and um little art artisan trucks come in and sell their wares and we had sound healing and reiki and massage therapy and some various art installations going on it was a great time and you know i put my all into that party uh not because i wanted to to make money there actually did not make any money at that event but we were able to inspire you know, the attendees of this event, which were all World Tea Expo attendees. So they were all, you know, small tea business owners or tea business owners or, um, you know, people involved in the tea industry to see, for them to, to see, like this party was like the maxed out example of what I could have put together for a tea event. I basically had like 15 different tea events going on in, in one party. So people could walk through and experience each one of those things and, and be inspired. Okay, I could do something like this. I could reach out to my local healing community and, you know, there could be sound healers, um, you know, that could come in and do like, you can do like a 20 minute, 30 minute tea tasting followed by 40 minute sound healing session. And you can charge $40 a person for that. 
you know, yoga studios are charging that much for events and people are valuing it that much. Uh, there's no reason for, you know, someone that owns a tea shop or has the space uh, or can even pop up the space somewhere else um, to, to host these tea-related events. Okay, so you're saying that some people naturally have a better affinity for tea, right? Like if you start with certain groups, it's easier to get a, a better response. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like I said in the beginning, the tea is a new thing for for North America. I'm, I'm sure, you know, in South America, too, it's a very new thing. Yeah. You know, anything beyond like iced tea or tea bags. So, you know, some people... Um, they're afraid by new things, even though it can look very simple and, and seem very simple. Like they just, they, they feel like there's such a gap between being a coffee person and, you know, trying to get into tea. So, you know, when I put on my first big event here in Las Vegas and collaborated with a, a woman that had started a tea festival here and uh, came on board to help her, my whole thing was I, I didn't want us to lose money on that event. And and that's my whole thing on all events. I think for anybody that wants to put on an event, like that should just be the bottom line. Like don't pursue something or invest in something without knowing, you know, are you going to break even? Because it's not sustainable if, if you're losing money. And that's the last thing that we need in the tea community is, is someone to activate a community and then abandon it because it's not lucrative enough to support them. Um, you're definitely not going to make profit on these events, but don't don't be losing money on these events. So, um, you know, we were really afraid about ticket sales uh, because, you know, here in Las Vegas, uh, at, at that time, there was no tea culture here. There was, you know, very few people, you know, just in their homes and on their Instagram accounts that were, you know, starting to get into tea. So it's not like we can, you know, flyer for a, a tea festival and everybody will come to it. Um, so I told her, let's make music a big component of it. And, um, and that worked because then we were able to, in the marketing, make the music very forward and supporting local artists, knowing that their communities were going to come for supporting them. And and voila, there's, you know, a bunch of tea booths here to learn about tea. So, you know, I think that that's another really important thing uh, to understand in your community and who you're trying to serve and, and what you're trying to build of what is the baseline you know if you're if you're trying to set up some tea events in let's say portland where where tea understanding and tea culture is more mature than than las vegas you know portland tea festival they launched just a few years ago and it was an immediate success you know and not with an immense amount of marketing it it, it was just because people knew tea and when they saw the event they, they wanted to go but you know, like in las vegas people don't look at a, a tea flyer and think oh wow tea i want to go now maybe some some people uh you know after all the work that we've been doing and all the events we've been throwing here but yeah you know we still have to bring other things forward so there's always some theme with every event that we do um last christmas um you know i just moved into this new this current space that i'm in uh, last year like uh, thanksgiving around thanksgiving so uh, christmas was our first you know main event and i always like to do the christmas event it's, it's fun we don't do it on christmas day we do it sometime ahead of time but you know people always like coming to our events knowing it's going to be festive and decorative but this last year we went above and beyond and uh making an entire like selfie museum which is kind of 
you know, a modern phenomenon that I, I was tapping into. There's things like a museum of ice cream or even like the, the hall of mirrors, like the, those types of art activations that, um, you know, are poppy and ha- colorful and good lighting, uh, you know, made for people to, to take their Instagram photos in. Um, they're really popular right now. So I figured if I make this selfie museum, you know, people will come for that and then the tea will be here and then they can get introduced to tea. And um, that's exactly what happened. You know, we had about 100 people that came uh, for this. Uh, we did one party in the selfie museum where we com- we converted the complete tea room into a gingerbread house. It was called the gingerbread tea house. Um, and it was an immersive theater as well. So we had actors there uh, that were, you know, part of Santa's crew of elves that were sent on a special mission uh, to Las Vegas uh, at Tealet to uh, work on the naughty or nice lists. And, um, you know, they had a list of activities that they, they would get the attendees to participate in, um, you know, to get their, their checklists, you know, are they on the naughty or nice list? So it was just something silly, you know, but, um, you know, we were able to get some press coverage out of it and had some influential people in the community come just because they were interested in the theater and art component of what we were doing. And of course, when they sat down for the tea, you know, everything made sense. And, uh, you know, now they've been back for other events and this has helped us continue to develop our community here in Las Vegas. And it's something that can be replicated, you know, anywhere in the world. Oh, it's very creative. It's a lot of work though. (laughs) (laughs) And in your experience, like how easy is it to get someone that has always drank coffee and then he comes to one of these events? I don't know, like sort of your conversion rate, like, like what percentage of people actually become tea lovers? Oh, I, I, I wouldn't be able to, um, to say what that percentage is. I mean, is it little by little? It's little by little. I mean, are you talking about a tea lover as in like somebody who starts collecting tea and, you know, building up their gung fu cha? Are you talking about like a tea lover of someone who no longer identifies only as a coffee drinker, but can say, oh, I like tea too, especially tea when I go to tea let, um, you know, because that happens a lot. People come in here and they say, I drink coffee, you know, I've tried drinking tea um, and I just don't like it. It's just boring for me. It just tastes like water. It tastes, it, you know, it, it does, it's not exciting for me. And then, you know, of course, they sit down and, and drink real tea, like good tea. And, and then their idea changes. It's like, okay, well, I feel good. I mean, no one sat down and drank tea and said, oh, I, I don't like this. I don't feel good. It's a lot more of, it's still at that point of just like opening people up to yeah. that tea can be good. You know what I mean? Like, you know, a lot of people come in here and I'm, I'm sure you deal with the same thing. People declare that they're coffee drinkers and that they've tried tea and they just don't like it especially with green tea you know they always say the they probably just oversteeped it they just didn't know it's bitter (laughs) but um but like these these parties are a chance to get them to start to open up you know i never do a hard sell at these events like even if someone says oh i really like that i really like that I'm not like quickly following after saying, oh, you got to buy this one then. A, because that's not my business. You know, I do wholesale distribution. So what events I do here are strictly for influence and for marketing and seeds. You know, it's all just planting seeds in the soil and letting that go out and support the rest of my business. People are not going to start building trust with you, even if you are a retail institution. You're not going to be able to build trust with people if you're pushing sales on them, you know, and that's, that's exactly what you saw with, with Tivana and why 
I never knew any like super dedicated Timana tea lovers that, you know, went back all the time. You know, it was a lot of stories of, oh, I went in there, you know, one or two times for a gift idea and left there feeling, you know, abused. I left there feeling <laughs> like harassed because they, they just were trying to sell so much stuff mm, to me. Too pushy. Um, that's not what we want to do with tea. You know, we want, we want like people to feel like our spaces are welcoming and that we're yeah that everybody's welcome and and that even if you're not planning to buy something right now you can just come to this event and so that's why it's important to charge for events even if it's a tasting gotten to a point now that i always just charge for the tasting or for the events you know i i I used to do a lot of drop-in tastings i don't do that so much anymore i do i i try to encourage people to create a group and say, okay, well, we'll take in the whole group and we'll do the event for this much. And, you know, and then people end up being really happy because then it turns into like a little party with their friends versus, you know, just coming in to taste some tea or try to buy some tea. Yeah, it's really important to, to, to make money off of your event through a ticket sale or, you know, and if people do want to buy the product, have it ready for them to buy and that's additional revenue. But I think creating like a really valuable experience versus trying to sell product to them trying to compensate your time and resources by selling product is not ideal uh, for creating this like long-term value customer or this long-term value tea lover um, that I'm talking about that I think is more ideal you know I think a, a good example of this is with the tea festivals at least here in the States or in North America, the tea festivals I've gone to, you know, the majority of them are the business model is to, you know, have the vendors and the sponsors and then the attendees come and there'll be value in, in the, in the ticket, you know, there'll be presentations and speeches and classes you can sign up for. Um, but you know, the majority of the value of these experiences is in that marketplace, the vendors that you can go around and buy product from, which is, um, that's great for for the business. It's great for those businesses, but I don't know if it's so great for the attendee. As is, you know, you think of like a beer festival or a wine festival. The vendors that come and, and even buy a booth to be there, a lot of times they're not selling their product there. They're sampling their product, and it's like the producers themselves that are there that that are representing the manufacturer, the producer, so they can uh, tell the stories and educate the the consumer on you know what makes their product unique versus a reseller like um, a beer store um, you know a, a beer store having a booth there and just selling their beer there i think these festivals is like uh, when i when i put on tea festivals you know I, I i go out of my way to not have a marketplace there even for my own product like i said i don't want to be pushing product on people when i'm introducing tea to them you know, I, I really try to find the revenue model, the business model to be through ticket sales and um, and not even through sponsorships because people see a sponsor on a, on a label unless it's like a really beloved brand that everybody knows and loves. You know, in the tea market, we don't really have that. We don't really have brands like that. You know, it's it's not as a welcoming as a situation as if there's um, there's just education. You know, at the the best tea festivals I ever put on, all the booths are tea farmers. And you can just, like we did one in Japan, um, you know, while I was doing my internship there after my MBA, International Tea Farms Festival in, in Wazuka, um, part of the IFTA. 
every booth was like it was like a farmer from Taiwan, a farmer from Korea, a farmer from India, a farmer from Sri Lanka, a farmer, and it was great. You could just like walk a booth to booth and like taste their tea and and ask them questions and really learn about tea. Like that's the best way to learn about tea is tasting all the different teas from all over the place and learning their differences and like why are they different? Oh, it's because you you withered it like this. Okay, that's interesting and. You end up learning a lot about all the teas whenever you can start drawing those parallels. But I mean, that's like next level tea nerd that we're talking. But um, even for a newbie, uh, a new tea lover, someone just getting introduced to tea, I think it's really important to like let the magic of tea being showed to them versus you know the business, the brands, and the products. Like that's the connection. Sitting around in a table and like. Getting on this like heightened level with each other and seeing where your conversations go—it's magical. It's better if it's more like the friendliness and the human touch, like a party. Yeah, yeah, I think it's always better. And you know, you can always fit in education in that. You know, you could be having the tea party and still talking about texture and flavor notes and brewing. And you know, it's not all just a ruckus party because, like, yeah, we're not drinking alcohol. Like, we're <laughs> we're just drinking tea and getting getting sharper and sharper. So yeah, I think it's it's cool to to approach it with this party festive kind of attitude versus this stringent traditional, you know, proper. A lot of tea businesses they're trying to do like the high tea, the proper tea, which is yeah, that's not the the true magic of tea. I mean, that's hardly tea that's being drank or consumed in those those sessions. It's mostly food and you know ambiance and dress and you know just presence. But yeah, I think the Chinese do it the best, you know, and the Taiwanese have done a really wonderful job in the spaces that have been created. Like in in Taipei, the tea culture, the tea house culture there is incredible. Um, you know, for for creating these gathering spaces and and they could be like um, micro communities within a community. You know, a tea house with many small tables. So you know, the conversations can still remain intimate and special. Uh, you know, and and having these intimate groups of like five or six people. You know, another party that you could do could have like 30 people at the table together. I've done that before, and they they both kind of work. But I mean, for the person hosting the event, the most important thing is authenticity. So if uh, your your authenticity is is to be more proper, you know, I think that's perfectly fine to express that in your events. But I think to keep people engaged. It's important to keep that looseness and the focus on connection between people at the, the table together. That's going to create the sustainability in that community. If you do a, a meditative tea ceremony where no one's going to talk, everybody's just going to come in and, and watch this tea ceremony and then leave, your chances of like recurring customers, recurring people coming back over and over again is going to be much less than if you had a rotating table of different tea practitioners serving tea every day of the week, you know, then people can come every day and experience that new tea server's style. What are they going to be doing? If that tea server or whoever's hosting the the event uh, really loves chocolate and really loves to talk about chocolate, then yeah, they can integrate chocolate into it and make it a pairing event and, you know, just kind of lead that discussion. But 
you know, one that's going to be more commutative is going to be a lot more successful than one that's like school. Like you sit in your desk and everybody drinks their tea and eats their chocolate and then you write your notes down. It's a lot different than if you have like, um, you know, a, a circular table and you're going through these steps together and talking with each other as you're going and having this kind of relaxed and connecting educational experience with each other. And has the community grown a lot in, in Las Vegas? It has. Yeah, it has. Um, and quickly. And it's evolved. You know, it's gone to different people uh, in, in different styles and subcultures have been created. And um, that's good. You know, that's that's success. That's, that means things are growing. You asked earlier, like, has it grown the tea lover base? Uh, yes, it has. You know, it hasn't gotten it to the level of where I would like to see where everybody is practicing, you know, gung fu in their, their home and at their office and whatnot. Um, but I think people are, they're, they're like taking the steps towards getting to that point. And, you know, there hasn't been a person that hasn't come in here and said, oh, I, I want to do this at home. Yeah, they all want to, but... You know, there there are barriers to entry, like, you know, where do you start? And there's costs, you know, to developing this this hobby that maybe is going to take a little bit longer and a, a bit more influence. You know, I think that's what it's going to take next is like the influence, be it a celebrity or be it some kind of mass media type of exposure of, of this type of tea culture, of this like tea party culture that could really like popularize and, and spread this as an and tea lifestyle as, as something cool and hip that people don't think twice about. They just say, oh yeah, that's cool. That's a thing. Yeah. Tea people, people drink tea and, and it's good. I enjoy it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why do you think Portland is more developed in that way? Well, I mean, there, there are a couple of people in that community there that that have been doing these parties i mean there's one in particular i just can't stop raving about is um his name is poe and uh he runs a tea temple out of like an artist collective home and you know he's not mass marketed uh you can't find him on yelp and and just drop in when you want you kind of have to know it's like a word of mouth type of a thing but he's been doing this for years and years and years and years and like one sitting at a time just changing people's life with tea and and encouraging people and empowering people to integrate tea into their lifestyles so it's not uncommon in in portland to to walk into someone's home and to see decent teaware there you know and it's it's because of people like him you know there are several established tea shops um specialty tea shops Uh, that have been pillars of the community. People just know them, you know, and they, even big brands, you know, they've been doing a lot of work there for decades, actually, and in creating that uh, tea culture and, and knowing what tea is. I think, like, one of the hot spots for just sitting to do your homework or hang out with a friend is, you know, they're doing boba and they're doing, like, the sweet things, but also having some specialty tea offerings and the ability to get exposed to gung fu cha and to like mindfulness and preparation of tea. You know, it's like a, a chain, you know, there's several of them around the city uh, that you can have that experience in. And, and it's not a new company. It's It's been there for a while. So, you know, Portland is very privileged to have been exposed. You know, some people may argue that there's better tea in other places, but overall culture around tea and understanding of how tea works 
loose leaf tea works. Like people in, in Portland have just been exposed to it for a much longer time. You know, here in Las Vegas, um, the only tea exposure the city had was a high tea experience and a really high end hotel on the strip. Uh, has a beautiful view, uh, serving um, incredible food, beautiful looking food and delicious like snacks, like, um, you know, high tea spread. But yeah, the tea, like they don't even serve the, prepare the tea in front of the guests. They prepare it back of house and just bring the pot ready to just pour into the cups. So that was it until, I mean, just like three years ago, we got our first real tea shop. So yeah, it's it's pretty incredible how fast it's grown and the chefs here in town just know about tea. And, you know, it's, it's been a lot of the work that I've done. And I even go to other people's events. So, like, uh, food tasting events. I, I just did one uh, called Picnic in the Alley. It was a collaboration, a nonprofit. It was, like, a, a fundraiser uh, for, for a charity here in town where the women of hospitality donated so chefs around town at some of the different restaurants around town had donated different dishes and it was like a food festival and we each had our booth and we were offering, you know, tastings to the attendees. Um, and I did a tea service there, uh, which was highly po- popular. It was during the, um, the Kuchikiri time. So I had the new Tensha. And I was grinding it there at the at the food festival, mm-hmm. grinding the fresh matcha. And um, I've been doing this for years. So, you know, people see me at these events and they've seen me before and they've come to my tea room for tastings. And so, you know, just the chefs and the bartenders in town, like even though there still has been a little bit of a hurdle of getting, you know, tea into food service, into restaurants. And I'm sure you talk about this all the time with your friends. It's, it's difficult, you know, to get a restaurant to move from the tea bag. But people know about it. You know, and and like I said, I think it's just going to take it. Maybe it'll be an innovation, innovation in how tea can be served in restaurants. But I mean, really, to be honest, I think it's going to be a matter of FOMO, fear missing out. Is something's going to happen and it's going to be super high profile that's going to make every other chef in town and every other sommelier in town or or in in the country to to feel like, oh shoot, I, I need to upgrade what I'm doing. This is this is bad. It's just shameful that I'm, you know, serving these tea bags. You know, they already know now. And I've had plenty of wine psalms come into my space and, and, and do tastings and get excited about tea. But then, you know, ultimately in their restaurants, they're still serving the tea bag and they don't drink it themselves. They know it's not good, but they're doing it because the culture um, in, in, their, in their workplace and in their business has not prioritized it. You know, so I think we just need something uh, within our culture to, to to bump up that that priority because it's not that hard. It really isn't. It's just, it just it, it takes a little bit of prior reprioritization. So how do you envision the the future for tea in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just going to be this. It's just going to be like party. You know, like the strongest tea culture I've seen. And this is probably a tea culture that no one ever talks about or knows about because it's like it's it's this like alternative kind of community thing is like uh, around the, the like Burning Man like communities. Uh, Burning Man is the the big event, but there's several other events, um, festivals, and you know art events. Um, and there's there's a whole community of people that serve tea there at these events. Um, even at Burning Man itself, there's 24 different tea experiences listed in the program. Oh, really? And there's dozens more that are not listed in the program. That There's actually a lot of people that are drinking tea and they're not 
on the internet talking about the tea they're drinking. They're just drinking it, you know, as a part of their meditative practice or just their general practice. And so I think that that's going to continue to grow and the tea businesses that are going to continue to, to thrive even into a recession, which is, you know, pretty imminent for us. Um, those are going to be the ones that are, that are, are, are having like that party mentality, right? Like what, what survives well during a recession, they say is like alcohol and lipstick, right? Because those are like, those are like affordable luxuries that help people escape, you know, how they're feeling or, you know, the, the problems that they're dealing with. And so I think that there there is an opportunity for businesses to tap into that opportunity, like, especially with the Gen Zs and not, not even just the millennials, but the, especially the Gen Zs, you know, and, and these are now college students, you know, and they're going to be exiting college and going out into the world. And a lot of them are not so keen on alcohol. It, it's not that they're anti-alcohol, it's just... Um, they don't want to go out and party every night. Um, they want to have like valuable experiences. And, you know, I think that that that's something to to address, you know, during during a time of of challenge that that you can be like this cool hangout party environment that you can spend a little bit less than what you'd spend in the bar uh, as far as money. And you'll have just as much fun and you'll leave feeling good and, and, and be able to connect with your friends. And because and, that's what people want when they go to the bar or when they drink with their friends at home. You know, they, they're just wanting to be able to let go of their worries for a second and just um, enjoy socializing or enjoy being on a different level for a little while. You know, these tea events and tea parties and tea community can be, you know, not not even just good for business, but good for the world, too. Because, yeah, if we can get a whole generation of people out of the bars and into, you know, the tea room, <laughs> it'd be pretty incredible, the outcome, right? Yeah, without the hangover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Lisa, um, thank you for your time. It was very interesting uh, hearing your thoughts about tea. And I wish you the best with your company. Thank you. Thank you. You too. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my Japanese green tea podcast. Join us again next time 